jump in with me. We are starting a brand new series titled Transformation. As we launch into this new series, we aim to lean into all that God has for us. As we believe this will be a a monumental year for our church. Our goal is to embrace vision as we seek both personal transformation in Christ and the transformation that God wants for our church's mission. Now, part of our church's mission is our next generation. It's our elementary age kids. And today, as, as here in the next few seconds, we're going to transition them into the elementary classroom with our, our kids director, Jordan. He's there in the back. But parents, please know that as we launch into this vision series this month, our vision for our kids has already been laid out for the entire year of 2020. Jordan has been well-equipped. He is dreaming. He is planning. He's excited. And we're doing it together as a team. So kids, elementary age, you are free to go right now to the back. Jordan's there to meet you, and he will be um, helping you jump into the vision that we have for you this year. God is good, amen? He's doing things on every, every level of our church, every age level, every age bracket, um, every type of person. He is reaching into all of our hearts, and I believe it's gonna be big as we, we willingly lean into transformation. Now, this morning, as we begin our new series, we also are launching into a church-wide journey of prayer and fasting. And as I've already said, over the next 21 days, we will be praying intentionally as a church Uh, We'll be praying as a church family and we'll be expecting the miraculous to take place in our services, in our lives, in our workings. And as I, can I, can I challenge you that as you expect the miraculous, to expect the miraculous for the right reason. Um, Every time that Jesus did a recorded miracle, it was so that somebody who did not believe would believe in him. It wasn't for, it wasn't so that the lame man could walk or the blind man could see. That was part of his miracle. But every single time somebody else came to realize who Jesus was. Maybe it was the haters, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, who, who it was almost like Jesus was kind of like, hey, I'm reminding you of who I am. I'm coming. I'm coming. I'm about to die for everybody. I'm here. Like, this is happening. And sometimes maybe it was like Lazarus, and we'll jump into that in a little bit, but he did it so that others could believe. So as you expect miracles, expect them for the real reason, so that others may come to know Jesus. And when they come to know Jesus, I'm telling you, this church house will be so full that we'll do justice to those who started the church. We're called to steward those who built this church from day one, the heart that God gave them to to launch this church so long ago. It's over 80 years ago that it's been in this, from from every paperwork I can find, it's been in this location. This church has a rich heritage. And we're called to steward it as we move forward together. There's no better way to steward God's, God's kingdom and what has been than to grow it and overflow it. And I want to live in that overflow, amen? I want to live in the overflow of the Holy Spirit. I want to live in the overflow of deep, deep-rooted prayers. I want to live in the overflow of radical, uh, biblical teaching, people who are so deep in their word with God that he's unveiling new things that have never been shared before. I want to live in the overflow with you. So as we expect miracles, let's, let's expect it for the right reason. Last week, we talked about how uh, we're leaning into this 90 to 100. We are believing We are expecting, and I think it's gonna happen faster, but we are expecting that in the next 90 days, 
We'll see 100 people start to come to this church. And that includes you. We'll see 100 people start to call this church their home. Why are we fixed on numbers? Because Jesus did everything about numbers. He said, I'm gonna leave the 99 so you get the one. What's 99 plus one? It's 100. Everything Jesus did was about addition, multiplication. It was about moving forward. It was about the more, the merrier. And I'm gonna tell you right now, it's all about the numbers. Any pastor who tells you it's not, they are probably um, trying to skew it a little bit because it's all about numbers. If I can get one into heaven, that's one more than was already in heaven by Jesus' power and by his name. Amen? If I can get 100 into heaven, if we can reach 1,000, if you reach one person, do you know that you just gained at least the average is an influence over 10 more people through that one person? Can I tell you, this church can extend its reach exponentially in the next 90 days. I believe it. So we're leaning into the miracle that we're calling 90 to 100, 90 days to 100 people. Why? Because we know God has a radical plan for this church. I believe that the church and its, and its struggles in the last couple of years, what we'll call it unhealth, as we get healthy together, God is setting us up so that one day we can go to the next town and help that church become healthy. It's not just about us. It's about his kingdom and it's about his glory, amen? Now, church, if you're not awake this morning, it's the first service of 2020 and I am so ready. I'm so excited. So here's what I need a little help with. I need you to elbow your neighbor if they start to fall asleep. I need you to say amen. I need you to grunt. If something that is said from God's message gets you excited, it is okay to acknowledge to him, hey, I'm with you, Jesus. I'm with you. It's not about me. It's about us having fun together, engaging the word together, and letting God know. Amen means let it be done. You like something, God, 9100, I like that. Amen. Let it be done, God. See, I just said amen for you. Now you know how to do it. Lean into it. Let's have fun. We're called charismatic Pentecostals. What does that mean? Charismatic is C, Pentecostal is P. We're church partiers, okay? We just like to have fun. Can I tell you it is okay to let loose in church and have fun with God, amen? Amen, amen. look at your neighbor who didn't say amen and say, hey, that's you. Amen, okay, all right, all right, all right. God wants us to participate. He wants us to let loose a little bit, to quit being so uh, stuck in, in the chair. And listen, not everybody's gonna be extroverted like me, but there is a level that you can get to with God that says, you know what, I'm excited. And what about looks like? Be you, but be excited this morning. I am, I am, and I will be, and eventually you might get there with me even if you're not. So this morning we, we've been talking about uh, this 90 to 100 challenge that God has birthed in this house. Through our faith, we believe that God will do just that, that he will take us to 100 in weekly attendance within the 90, next 90 days. We're dreaming big, uh, for we know that God has big breakthrough on our horizon. When we agree together in faith, we know that God is with us and through our faith, mountains can move. Strongholds can fall apart. The chains of bondage can be broken. Listen, I, there should never be a service in 2020 where somebody does not give their life to Jesus. And that falls on all of us. That is our responsibility. I can just, can I just tell you, can I just give a little, little excerpt right here? I am not the kind of pastor that I'm gonna do everything for you. I'm gonna do what God tells me to do and part of what God tells me to do is help you to be a pastor like me, to simply just love people, to reach people. You don't have to be a Christian for months or years to start telling people about Jesus, to start seeing salvation in your life. And listen, we got some veterans in this place, amen? Thank God for those who've gone before us. Oh man, I, I gotta get focused. I'm, so, I'm just so ready, I'm so ready. Matthew chapter 17, verse 20 says, Jesus told them, I tell you the truth. 
If you had faith even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it would move. Nothing would be impossible. Can I tell you, if, 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 I'm sure many of you have heard this, but a mustard seed, I am so sorry. My font is so tiny today. I messed that up. Can y'all can read that? That's a little small. I'll get it bigger next week. My bad. Can I tell you, faith of a mustard seed can act, a mustard seed can actually fit under most of our fingernails. It's tiny. A little bit, a little bit of faith. A little bit of faith can literally move the, the, the figurative and maybe even the physical mountains in your life. Wow. Wow. I believe we can muster up at least one mustard seed, if not like two or three, just with the people in this room. Together, our faith is stronger. Together, our prayers become united in true faith and begin to see the wonders and the miracles that only heaven can provide so that others may know who Jesus is. Time and time again, Jesus did the miraculous so that people would believe. Listen, four friends, they, they lowered their crippled friend down in, in front of Jesus. Why? They lowered him down so that the person could get healed. And what's the first thing Jesus does whenever this, this he's in the middle of a crowded house and this guy gets lowered down. I, I'm sure Jesus is kind of like, oh, that's cool. Okay. Like, rip the wall, the, the ceiling apart, the roof apart, and here comes a man. Like, oh, and Jesus is the one going on the cables in, in all of our plays, right? But here's his friend is coming down on the cables and, and they lower him down and Jesus doesn't say, hey, crippled man, get up and walk. Bah, miracle. He doesn't. The first thing Jesus does, he says, your faith. Your faith, he acknowledges the faith, and then he literally heals the man of his sin. He forgives him right, you are forgiven. And then what happens is people are like, who are you, Jesus? Who do you think you are that you can forgive people? He says, oh, is it easier for you to believe that I could forgive this man of his sin, or is it easier for you to believe that I could heal him of his ailments? And so what Jesus does is he turns so that they might believe and that they might be uh, confounded, they might be uh, just mind blown. He says, get up and walk, and the man stands up, legs begin to straighten, things begin to move, and he is healed radically. Jesus does the miraculous so that others may come to see him. Lazarus, Jesus' dear friend. We know that Lazarus is Jesus' super close friend because Scripture tells us that. Lazarus has uh, these, these homegirls, Mary and Mary, who love Jesus very much. One cooked for Jesus uh, when he was in their house. The other one washed Jesus' feet. Like, like it's a serving, it, it, and leaned up against him. And listen, like it's a, these ladies are big fans of Jesus. They're big followers. They're committed. They love him. Lazarus, their brother, of one of the Marys, just dies out. Done. Game over. Jesus' best friend. Mary's like, hey, Jesus, come here. He's sick. Come heal him. And Jesus, being Jesus, says, no, 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 no. I got work to do. I'll be there later. And by the time Jesus finally shows up, the first Mary comes running up, and she's like, Jesus, if you would have just been here. I have enough faith that if you would have been here, he'd have been healed, but now he's dead. She's ticked. And then later, the other one comes up and Jesus, if you would have just been here, if you would have just shown up, I know all things, all things are given to you if you ask, but if you would have just been here. So Jesus rolls up to the, the tomb that Lazarus is placed in. And can I tell you, Lazarus was placed in a tomb because that was a common burial method. But what they would do at the time of burial is they would wrap them in what's called a ground cloth. And then they would turn and they would wrap them in a fine linen. They were two pieces that represented different parts of the finality of life. It's game over, done. Lazarus is wrapped. He's dead. It had been a few days. By this point in time, by the just science, we know that Lazarus would not have just been dead, but he would have been bloating and even releasing the foul odors of death. So it is final. There is no 
just Lazarus' napping kind of moment. It's done, game over. And Jesus could have just said, yo, Lazarus, hey, man, it's good to see you. Come on out. Whoop, we know. Lazarus would have watched right out. But before he did that, it says that Jesus knelt down and he began to pray. And he said something along the lines of, Father, I do this. You can find this in John chapter 11. Father, I do this. I know you give me all things, but I do this so that those watching may know that it is you in me, that you have sent me here. He stands up and he says, Lazarus, step on out. Come on down. <laughs> Lazarus gets up. He walks out. But that's not the last thing Jesus does. Even though he did it for them to see, there was a part of the finality that Jesus had to say, you know what? I'm not just the, I'm not just the finality over death. I'm, I'm finality over all the things that represent death. The bloating is gone. The smell's gone. The odor's gone. I believe it. I believe it. I believe it. I believe it. Because... Jesus then says, hey, wait, take off the ground cloth, take off the fine linen, take off all the things that represent death because you are now living in my name. Jesus does the miracles that Jesus does time and time and time again so that people who do not know him can come to know him. Listen, it only takes one of us in this room to get the principle of reaching our friends to radically change the church. And I believe every one of us are on the edge, the cusp of leaning in to radically being the version of yourself that radical represents, radically being someone who reaches the loss for Jesus. It takes one influencer, and we have so many influencers in this room today. And Jesus did the miracles so that other people may believe. If we want to see if we want to truly uh, be transformed and if we want to see the miraculous, we must desire and expect them for the right reasons. You want to see miracles? You want to see transformation? Do it outside of vanity. Do it outside of your preferences. Do it outside of anything that you could comp comprehend or make up. Lean into what Jesus leaned into, and that is salvation. That is the greatest miracle of all. You want to see miracles? Start telling people about Jesus, and their salvation will be the first miracle you need to see. You want to see crazy signs and wonders? Lean into the fact that when those things happen, it's so that lost people can see and come to know Jesus. You want to see a miracle in this church, bring somebody that's lost, and then we can expect miracles to happen. God's not gonna, I'm, I'm, just, I'm gonna believe, I don't think God's gonna fix this part of me or that part of me just to do it in front of a bunch of people who already love him and believe in him. He might do it because he loves me, but scripture shows me he will always do something radical and crazy so that somebody can come to know him. Be saved from eternal death to live in eternal life. Maybe Maybe you're finding yourself in a season where I've been before, and even honestly in the last few years, where it starts to kind of feel like, eh, hell's just, it's like normal, because, well, I grew up in church, and we talk about hell, and, and yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's fire and lake, and woo -hoo, you know, ah, heaven's great, it'll be there one day. Maybe you find yourself in a place where it almost becomes desensitized to the fact that hell is literally uncomprehendable. It is something that we never want to go into. I, it says there's gonna be wailing and gnashing of teeth. And you know what? I've, I've even maybe started to believe and dream the wailing and gnashing of teeth that I'll hear if I go to hell wouldn't be somebody else's. It would be my own. See, it's kind of creepy when it's somebody else's. It is revolutionary when we realize the gnashing of the teeth and the wailing, ah, oh, is actually mine. That's hell. Hell is pain over and over and over. And I'm not trying to scare you. I'm trying to make it real to you again because there are people that you walk into their lives every single day and you are waiting for the perfect moment. Jesus didn't come for perfect moments. He is the perfect moment. You just gotta share him. And by that, there will be less wailing and gnashing of teeth in hell. Don't 
don't wait until you're perfect because you'll never share the gospel with somebody if you wait until you're perfect. Don't wait until you have your finances in order because life will be easier or, or my wife's not mad at me and I was a jerk last night so I can't tell somebody about Jesus on Monday because I was a real mean dude on Sunday night with my wife. I said, you know what? Be broken and share your brokenness with somebody who needs to see the one who fixes brokenness. Where did we get off as a capital C church thinking that we have to have this package all nice and neat before we can share it? We gotta lean into what God's doing. Can I tell you, don't wait for your perfection because your perfection will never come. Don't wait until you had a good, I mean, I had three, three great days with my family. I had not one fight in the house. I can share Jesus now. <laughs> come on now, let's do it. There's not a magical lamp. There's not a, a perfect moment. There's not some recipe. It is just you being you, being real, accepting the fact that you are not perfect, that you are broken, that we all are, and leaning into the fact that through our imperfections, Jesus came here to fix them all. Sin's like a bunch of bullet holes in my body and God came here through his son Jesus to plug them all up so that one day I might be right with him, so that one day I might be worthy of going to heaven. Mm. If you want to see miracles, you must pray for the salvation of others. Miracles happen so others may believe in Jesus. In this series, we're looking for personal transformation so that we may better take our role in reaching the lost. Today, we take a look at our responsibility to love. Part of our vision as a church family is also known as the greatest commandments of all. Love God and love people. Found in Matthew chapter 22, verse 36. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Love God and love people. Love him and love them. So where do we start with our transformation? The answer to our personal transformation and the radical forwarding of our church and the mission of God is the same. We must remember what it means to truly love God. The moment that I loved God so much that I allowed him to save my life, I opened myself to him, admitting that I was a sinner was the, the moment that I loved him the most. I guarantee it. Since then, I have learned to love him more. But it was raw, it was easy, it was intimate, it was desperate. It was something that I've been removed from. Because, well, it was, it was the moment that I was acknowledging that from that moment previous, I was without him. And in that moment, since then, I've been with him. That was the, what, where were you when you gave your life to Jesus? When you made your decision, not mom and dad's, not grandma and grandpa, your choice to be a follower of Jesus. Can I tell you, I remember the moment I made my decision. It was two, it, it was, well, it was actually two columns in at Turner Falls from the, the right side. The left side was when I found my calling uh, to be a pastor. But I remember it, and that place holds a, 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 a significant, intimate, real spot for me. If I, every once in a while, I drive by there when I'm with my wife down there, and we're doing something, and I'm like, ah, that's where it was, Jesus. That was the place. Can I tell you, that was the place is what people need to start saying about this church again. Amen. 
There should not be a Sunday from here on out that somebody does not come to know Jesus in this house. We have to remember what it is to love, to truly love God. Throw away small groups, men's ministries, women's ministries, youth ministries. Throw away all of that. And loving God is the greatest thing we could ever do. We could do one thing well as a church, it is to love God. And he would explode in this community. We're gonna use the tools, we're gonna steward what God gave us because that's a principle. But it starts, and it honestly even can end with one thing. If you love God, it doesn't matter where you're at, what you're doing, what you like, what you don't like, who you are, what you think. It doesn't matter. Any X, Y, Z does not matter. All that matters is him and how much you love him. And I guarantee you, he will radically use you. One thing matters above all, loving God. We must remember what it means to truly love God. If, if, I believe if we spend even a minute in the presence of God, we will walk away loving him and loving them more. I want to be so locked into his presence that when I walk into a room, people know I've been in the presence of God. Before I ever say anything, I want to see you walk in this place. And, and before you even get here on Sunday, I can say, whoa, there's a game changer. They've been in the presence of God. Whoa. Before they even came to his house, they were in his kitchen. They were in his living room. They didn't come here to get something. They came here to give something, to give their praise, their love, and their adoration to the one who deserves it. I want people to know that you are a game changer, a way maker, because he is in you, and you have been in him. Whew. I'm about to get like real old school, my, my great-grandma kind of Pentecostal. I'm about to start doing the Charleston up here. It's going to be good. It's going to be good. We want to love God and love people. It starts with us being It starts with us being with me, myself, and I. All of this starts with us being willing to be humble, to humble ourselves in prayer and allow God to radically speak to us. And I believe when we do that, it even requires us to be humble somewhere else because when God speaks to me, he usually speaks to the areas I'm weak in and it's in my weakness that I have to be humble. It's in our, it's in our, our strengths that we, we tend to, Masquerade is humility, but it's in our weaknesses, especially as a guy. It's not easy to, to admit that something's not right. There's something about being, and, and, and I think it's all of us as American citizens, but, it, but God made men in a way that sometimes it's just not easy to say, you know what? I may have been a little rotten. It's just not easy. It's, it, we're supposed to be the ones who are our caretakers of our family, like providing and, and being the strength and the warriors. And we see it throughout the gospel and, and even the Old Testament. We, as men, were, were designed to be brute strength. Oh, I don't have a weakness. Even my muscles have muscles. You know, like, it's not always easy to say, well, I can't do a pull-up anymore. Got a little extra love, and I got to lose it if I'm going to do some pull-ups, Okay. It takes us being humble in God's presence. And then I've learned that every time I'm truly humble in his presence and I'm, and I'm reminded of how I'm broken in his presence and I wanna stay broken in his presence, he challenges me to be humble somewhere else. And I'm talking to you about me because I believe God spoke to me to use my moments. This is like this week, okay? Because he wants to do the same thing in you. And I committed to God in 2020 that I'm going to pastor from my circumstance. I'm gonna pastor from my reality, from where I am, because if I try to pastor from anywhere else, 
it's not gonna be real or authentic. And God called me to love this city and to love you. And if I'm gonna do that, I gotta be humble and tell you, I'm not, I'm not the pastor that you hire for perfection. I'm never gonna masquerade like that. I'm gonna keep being me and let God change me. And I hope you keep being you and let God change you. Because if you'll be the best version of yourself, man, and let God radically grow you in that, your weaknesses might be my strengths. My strengths, my weaknesses might be your strengths. And together, together, we can hold up Moses' arms. Together, we we can win the war. Together, we can literally see not change at the end of the year, but change by next week. If you believe in God, you have to lean into the miracle that he could radically fill this house in seven days. He could radically put enough people in these seats that in two weeks we're doing outreach in our city that is so monumental that even the government has to say what is happening in Minko, that that the commerce goes through the roof. Listen, God did not put us here just to change things. He put us here to make them healthy. I'm talking about us as a church. And if if you're gonna lead into that, God's gonna use you in mighty ways, radical ways. You might get called weird for a moment, but wait until they see the fruit. Because, listen, the tree might look ugly, it might be weird, but when the fruit populates, everybody wants a taste, right? Am I real? So let's, listen, I'm going to be ugly and weird. I'm okay with that. Like, look at me. Okay, woo. (laughs) God's going to use this goofy, bald, long sweater-wearing guy to radically change and impact somebody's life for him. The, 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 The tree might be a little funky and gnarly, but the fruit of God in my life has to be so appealing that people want to taste. Not for my sake, but for his sake, amen? Not for your sake, but for his sake, amen? Look at your neighbor say amen. Come on now, wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up. We got, we're getting to church today. Listen, listen, the less, the less you get engaged, the longer I'm gonna go. I'm just kidding. <laughs> it starts with us willing to be humble. It means we are willing to give up everything just to see one person come to know him. If we want to see God move, we have to become less selfish and more selfless. Get that. If you want to see God move in your life, you have to become less selfish and more selfless. One interaction between a wealthy man and Jesus gives us a good idea of where we can start our transformation with Christ. Matthew chapter 19, verse 16 says, someone came to Jesus with this question. Now, this is not a a parable. This is literally someone walking up to King Jesus. Hey, man, question. Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Why ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, there is only one who is good. But to answer your question, if you want to receive eternal life, keep the commandments. Which ones? The man asked. And Jesus replied, you must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. Honor your father and mother. Uh, Listen, listen, you students. Honor your father and mother. Uh, Honor your father and mother. Honor your father and mother. Love your neighbor as yourself. He says, "Ah, great, I've obeyed all these commandments and and I even give, man, look at me, Jesus, I even give money to the poor and you will have treasure as, oh wait, I got real, I got way ahead, I want the treasure, right? I even give money to the poor and mm, he says, whew, the young man replied, what else must I do? I got a little ahead of myself, I'm so, I'm so amped. Jesus told him, if you want to be perfect, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Now check it. 
Check it. Now, I believe this man being wealthy, and in this culture, it was known to, to be, to a degree, a uh, benevolent culture. There was, it was mine, me, and my people, and then once that was established, you could be a slightly benevolent, you might give a little, hey, there's a, there's a little Aladdin over here, needs a, needs a piece of bread, you know, I'm going to throw him, throw him a bone, you know, I, I'm going to, so this guy comes in, I've kept the commandments, I'm living by the law, I'm, I mean, I'm doing it all. And Jesus says, well, if, if, if you really want to, uh, to inherit all of it, then, then go sell everything you own and give all of it to the poor. Now, at this moment, the young man heard this. He walked away sad. If you, if you go and sell all your possessions, give the money to the poor, and you will, then you will have the treasures in heaven. And then you can come follow me. At that moment, he just drops his head, sags his shoulders, and walks away sad because he had a lot of stuff. He had many, many possessions. Then Jesus looked to his disciples. I tell you the truth, it is very hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. I'll say it even again. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astounded. And who in the world can be saved, they asked. Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it is impossible. But with God, everything is possible. Just for a little uh, education, if you don't know, the eye of a needle and a camel is not what you sew with. The eye of a needle is a, is a place in ancient cities that are fortified walls, like Jericho. Uh, when they would go under siege, or at nighttime, especially when they would lock all the gates, they had this small opening that they would allow latecomers to the evening to come through. And for a camel to fit, it would have to get down on its knees and, and the, the owners of the camel would have to help shimmy the camel through this short opening in the backside of the city. It was very difficult for a camel to get on its knees and to shimmy through a wall. It is very, it is extremely, and even most camels, it was impossible because of the size of the beast. He's saying it is impossible. It is so extremely hard that you can't comprehend it. It's only possible. It's only possible with God. Jesus is the purest definition of love. How do we truly love the one who defines love? Is it even possible? How do we love the one who defines love? That line messed with me all week. How do I love, how do I produce love if the definition of love is him? How do I do that? How do I if you want to love Jesus, you have to be willing to be like Jesus, to be sacrificial. Loving Jesus means being sacrificial, willing to follow him no matter the cost to yourself. It means letting go of everything that you desire and want to give it to God if he deems necessary. I've learned something that when I let go of everything, God rarely asks for anything I have. He just asks for me. <clears throat> When I give in, in ways that are, are challenging because God's spirit said give above and beyond this moment, give a paycheck. Like, God, do you know what a paycheck does to my family right now? I don't know. I can give a paycheck to this mission. Give it. <sighs> okay. Boom. I just got dropped literally in 24 hours. We had, while we were at a camp, it was almost $12,000 came off the house we were trying to buy, and they settled with that amount, which was the exact amount we had, and it was perfect. They didn't want to. I walked in to service at camp, five o'clock, I get a phone call before I walk in. Hey, they're not gonna do it. They're not going for the deal. It's just what it is. Okay, well, that's what we have. So tell them again. Go in there, we pray. God challenges us. We do it, did not want to do it. Oh my goodness. We even cried a little bit over it, literally. And we gave it anyways and said, okay, God, yeah, trust. That's all we got. Can I tell you, when I truly let go, he always provides and rarely even asks for much more of myself than what I'm already giving him. The same is for you. You want to love God? Be willing to be sacrificial. 
Only when we have fallen deeply in love with God can we begin to love him uh, like he does. It's only by loving him that we can love them. You want to see people come to know Jesus, fall back in love with God in a way that defines your every thought. Your decision-making should be rooted in the fact that you love God so much. If you make decisions without that being part of your decision process, maybe you're like me and you have forgotten what it is like to have given your life to Christ in that moment. The intimacy, the raw, the brokenness, the dependency right then. There is no tomorrow without you, Jesus. I'm at Turner Falls. I'm crying. I'm a little boy. I'm making my decision. It is you and me, Jesus. Nothing else matters. I can see the moon. I can see those crosses. I can see everything just like it was yesterday. But since then, there's been a moment where my decision-making didn't even come close to including God and how I love him. Mm. So we find ourselves in his presence with regularity and, and our love for him is burning white hot. How do we then begin to love others as we lead them to salvation in Jesus? If we, if we accomplish falling deeply in love with him yet again and staying that way and, and, and going after him, how do we then turn all of our love into loving other people? How do we love them like Jesus would? A couple so just simple things to think about is one, we have to be mindful. We need to connect more deeply <clears throat> with our lives and the people in them rather than living a detached, disconnected existence. Work, goals, little league, whatever, it can cause us to become detached from the reality that Jesus wants us to love others. <clears throat> They're important. But his love for us and our love for him has to define our interactions. We have to be mindful. We must be approachable. It is important for people to feel safe approaching us. In other words, we must become less exclusive in our interactions with others and be more welcoming to those who seek us out. Jesus did not come to be exclusive. He came to be inclusive. We ought to be just like Jesus. This is not a country club. This is not a yacht club. We're not going out for a nice little stroll. We're in the middle of warfare. We are to be inclusive because there are people dying and going to hell. There are people living a truly hopeless life, trying to find hope and joy and love in other places and Listen, we have the answer. The truest form of joy is found in God. We must be inclusive, not exclusive. Can I tell you, I've been doing the first five years of my marriage. Guess what? I got five years was May. I just confessed to my wife just this week because we're about to start a marriage journey. I said, you know what? I have been doing you an injustice. I have been letting you define what the joy of my life looks like, and that is an unfair expectation. Jesus is the only one that can define my joy in life. And when I know my identity, I can lead my family's identity. When you know your identity, you can begin to lead those around you and their identity to be found in Jesus. Let your joy, your love, your passion, everything you have be rooted in the fact that you love Jesus and that you are not exclusive, but you are inclusive. Whew. I don't know if you feel it, but like there's a miracle about to happen in this church. There is something radical about to happen that I don't even understand. We can't put words to it or comprehend it, but when it happens, we're all going to sit back and go, whoo, boy, look what God did. And we're going to start, man, oh, hmm. Our faith has been like radically just turned up in these last few weeks as I got closer with him and as I've been more intentional with him. We must be full of grace. We must be willing to relate to others in a less judgmental way. Man, that is hard to do. It's easy to love somebody who's a lot like us for a moment. Um, 
But it's sometimes it's, it's, I find it hard to really, to really be full of grace when people are just different than me. Well, you don't like the same thing. You don't have the same priorities I have, so we're, we clearly can't. Yeah. You know, right? I mean, really. Let's be honest. We're humanity. We all do this. We kind of, eh. I, I have more grace. It's weird. We tend to have more grace to people we barely know and less grace to the people we love. And then everybody else in the middle, they just get the leftovers, right? Like it's, I have been accused by my wife and she was right that I gave everybody else the grace I had and gave her the leftovers. Can I tell you, nobody deserves your leftovers. Jesus came and he said, hey, give me the leftovers. I'm gonna gobble them up. I'm gonna take all your junk, all your baggage, all your ugly. I'm gonna take it because I have a mission for you, a mission to be real, a mission to be transparent. Don't give anybody your leftovers. Give everybody your best. We have to be full of grace. You want to give everybody your best? Live in grace. Grace overcomes our weaknesses always. Another thing we have to do is we have to be self-giving. We need to become less self-absorbed, and our culture has defined this to be self-absorbed. We must become less self-absorbed and more invested in those around us. If you have a conversation with somebody and all you walk away is the fact that you shared your story and your things and your stuff, and then you walk away and you go, ooh, I didn't even give them a moment to shoot. They're the ones who asked us to get coffee. And I, oh man, I just gave them all my junk. They're the ones that needed me. They needed to talk to me. They wanted to, they And I didn't allow them to be invested in because I was trying to give all my junk away. It's pretty common. We show up and they say, man, I'm going through a hard time. Well, yeah, yeah, me too. And we usurp the conversation because, well, I don't know why. It's just communication technology. I don't know. Hey, man, I need to talk to you. got some stuff going on. Yeah, man, I can relate to that. And then the next 30 minutes is about us, and they got three minutes and, and, and nothing else. And we didn't give them any of Jesus. We didn't give them any grace. We didn't even show them an answer. Listen, quit making your problem their answer because your problem is what Jesus has already taken. Give your problems to him and let their answer that you give them simply be, listen, I love you. I'm in your corner. I believe in you. And Jesus says you shall be saved by his grace. Lean into it. Let him radically change you. Listen, let's be crazy for Jesus. Can't we just do it? Can we just do it, church? Can we quit quit make reasons that we're not? Can we just quit dreaming about what used to be or what could be and just start living in it right now? It's a simple decision. That's me, Jesus. I'm gonna be radical. I'm gonna be weird. I'm gonna be crazy. Whatever it takes. And listen, you don't have to be weird. You don't have to be crazy. You can just say, I'm gonna love you and God's gonna use you just the way you are. It just takes us saying, I'm gonna let you do whatever you do. But I'm making the decision to do it for you and with you and through you and through me, you through me. I'm gonna just, ah, all of it. I'm talking, I want to see prayer circles started on our school campuses. I want to see uh, small groups starting in your homes. I want to see, I want to, I want part of our report is that you come in, you're like, hey man, uh, six people this week when I was in the streets, when I was just going through my thing and, and six people gave their life to Christ. I'm just going to the store. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Our 21 day prayer and fasting is about to ignite ministry in your life if you let it. Because when we fast things in prayer, we are set loose. We're only caged when we don't pray. It's like God removes the cage when we start to pray. <laughs> okay, now you're ready to not just be wild, but also be intentional with your fierce, crazy, go get them attitude. Mm. I got a lot of stuff rolling in my head right now. A lot of stuff, a lot of stuff. And the last thing I think we gotta do if we wanna love like Jesus would love is to simply be bold. We have to shed our fears and our insecurities and just be okay with being us. When you start to realize that Jesus has given you the definition, he defines you, and you're okay with whatever that definition is, 
and unlock something inside of your soul. In Paul's writings to Timothy, and we're about to, about to head to our ending right here. In Paul's writing to Timothy of encouragement to stay faithful, he, he low-key addresses a few necessary qualities that we must possess if we aim to have good relationships. Love him, love them, have good relationships with him. 2 Timothy 1.7, God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but a power of power, love, and self-discipline. Some versions say self-control. Some say a sound mind. If we strive towards a healthy relationship with others, that, that point, if we were to strive towards healthy relationships that point people to Jesus, we have to know where our power comes from. You cannot have truly healthy relationships on your own. We're not made for it. God made man, Adam, to be with him first. Not with them first. We're not made to do relationship on our own. Adam was found in God before he was ever given a partner. This relationship gave way and defined what this relationship could be. We have to know where our power comes from. If, listen, Philippians 3.10 says, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. His power has shown to us, it's been shown to us through his resurrection. You want to know where your power comes from? It doesn't come from the fact that Jesus died on a cross. It comes from the fact that Jesus rose from the grave. It doesn't come from the fact that Jesus did a miracle. It comes from the fact that Jesus didn't stay dead. Listen, you want to know where power comes from. It is defined with the Easter story. The stone rolled away and Jesus wasn't in there because he was already out for a stroll. Jesus' resurrection is where our power in his name is defined. He would just be another person that somebody called a God if he stayed dead, but he didn't stay dead. He rose from the grave. He defeated death, hell, sin, and the grave so that you could sit here today and say, you know what? I know where my power source is. I'm not just going to put a little two-pronged in there. I'm going to ground that puppy. I'm going to get the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All three of these bad boys, I'm locking in because my power comes from his resurrection. He's not a dead God. He's a living God. He lives for me, through me, and with me, and I am his. Come on now, church, you are powerful if you will just lean into the fact that Jesus gives you his power. He said, listen, I'm leaving today. I'm about to go to the Father today. But before I do, you need to know you will do even greater things than I did while I was here. Hold up, Jesus. You spit in mud, heal the dude's eyes. I'm going to do things like that? No, 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 you're not. You're going to do greater things than that. Hold on, Jesus, you, you came and died for all people, and you're telling me that, that, that even though you did that on earth, you want me to do greater things? Jesus said, you are my power, and my power resides in you because of my resurrection. Hmm. This church has good history, bad history, blood history, in the middle history, throw it all out the window. Nothing matters from here on out except for reaching people for Jesus. That will define our future, and eventually it will overshadow any negativity that this church may have earned or may have been given by outside sources. Listen, you want to become the powerhouse church for the city? You have to lean into the fact that you are part of the power. Business owners, school influencers, whatever you do in this community outside of this church, use it and wield your power in Jesus' name. It is okay. (laughs) 
Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is, is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Our power is found in the story. It is found in his story. It is found in the gospel. Where does our power come from? It comes from his resurrection. It is found and defined by the gospel message. Our relationships depend on us expressing the true sacrificial love of Christ. You want to have good relationships? Start pointing people to Jesus and stop pointing them to what you like and what you do and who you are and what you can be. Listen, stop bringing yourself before you bring Jesus. You want to bring an offering? Let go of yourself, give that to God, and let Jesus shine in your life. Maybe I'm just crazy. Maybe I'm just weird, but listen. God is telling me, as your pastor, he wants to radically change the city. He wants to radically change the world from right here. From right here. Man, I'm really going, aren't I? <laughs> Let me close this out. John chapter 10, 11 and 14, and we have a few scriptures and we're done. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. And if we want better relationships, we must have self-control. In writing to the persecuted church, the book of Jesus states this. You want to be sacrificial like Jesus? Be like the good shepherd. Lay down your life for somebody else. Give, throw yourself aside and listen to them. Hear them, invest in them, love them. He said, I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Know somebody. Be real with somebody. Scripture says, confess your sins to one another. Why? Because we need one another. Committing your life to Jesus in a moment and not sharing it with somebody is void of the fullness of God. He said, commit yourself. He says, I will see you in your sin. I will find you in your seat. I will meet you where you are. If you confess that you need me, I will save you of all of that. But then he says, go and confess to one another because there is a doing together that we overcome our weaknesses and our strengths begin to overshadow each other's weaknesses. And now we're a unified, wild, on-fire army for God, loving people, greeting people, making coffee for people, getting out of our city, painting walls, cleaning houses, radically changing the things we see because when we see things, we start to believe things. Listen, we are gonna be tangibly, radically changing the city because when people see us on fire for God in our actions, they'll listen to our words. James 1.19, to the persecuted church, says, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Not a reactionary, impulsive thinker. An impulsive thinker that moves out of their, their childhood. Uh, think about the wife and husband. I've even done this, sitting on the couch, and, and my wife's always freezing. I think it's a, a thing from her family because all the ladies are always cold. And she's sitting there, and she says, whoo, man, it's chilly. Did you turn the, the air down or something? Oh, she's shivering. And, I, and what do I say? Instead of saying, oh, no, I did not touch the air. I can turn it up for you, babe. I got you. You, you, you. I don't know why you're so cold because you're so hot. You know, like, instead of having a good moment with her, right, I'm like, well, what do you mean it's cold? I didn't even do anything because I'm impulsive and I'm reacting not out of my self-control in the Holy Spirit, but I'm reacting out of my childhood and the things that I was in, invested in from my parents and the people around me. Do not be reactionary in yourself, but be, be somebody who is proactive in the Holy Spirit. Be slow uh, to speak, quick to listen, slow to get angry. Loving them is best accomplished as we live by the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5.22, but the Holy Spirit produces the kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Self 
self-discipline, sound minds. You want to overcome depression and darkness and gross things so that you can love people? Jump into the fruit of the Spirit. Lean into what God has for you and begin to become less of an impulsive thinker and an impulsive reaction, reactionary and become somebody who is proactive in the Spirit. The days that I wake up and say, Tyler, you're going to be good to your wife today. Tyler, you're not going to say something stupid because you, you, you heard something that your mom might have said that set you off and she was mean to you sometimes. But instead, you're going to hear what your wife actually says. And all she said was, hey, it's cold in here. Did you turn the heat down? And, and, and I'm just kind of chilly. And what she really wants is, Tyler, for you to just be like, girl, I love you. Let me put a blanket on you. Let me sit next to you. Let me turn the heat up. But what I heard was, Tyler, you did it wrong. And God, I'm not going to react that way. I'm going to be proactive right now because I'm going to read your word first thing in the morning. I'm going to pray and I'm going to fast and I'm going to seek you so that in every relationship I have, starting with the one that is closest to me, I am going to be proactive in your spirit, in your word, in your knowledge. You want to see life change in yourself and in those you love? Begin to be proactive in your love for him. You want to experience revival in your spirit? And we're going to pray. If you want to receive, experience revival in your spirit, you want to walk closer with Jesus, then you have to love him and love them. You got to shake off those heavy bands. You got to release yourself in the name of Jesus to experience transformation. You got to man down and get on your knees. It's time to quit manning up, fellas. It's time to quit putting our chest out. Listen, you can be strong and you can get down and you can cry in front of Jesus and other people. It is okay. It's a man down. You gotta radically surrender to the miraculous in your life and chase after the salvation of others in Jesus' name. Transformation starts with your decision to change. Change doesn't mean you've been broken necessarily. It doesn't even mean you've been wrong. It means that God has something anew. He made me new at salvation. And he wants to make me new and remake me every single day as I get closer to being like him. Quit thinking about changing means that something is broken or wrong or no good. It just means that there's something fresh in God's spirit, in God's movement, in God's church, in your connection with him. There's power in the name of Jesus. There's life in his word. Prayer and surrender changes your life and the lives of those around you. With every eye closed, if you want to experience the miracles of heaven, truly meeting earth, then you have to expect the miracle of heaven meeting earth. If you want, to, you want to experience those that are lost coming to know Jesus, you have to expect those that are lost will come to know Jesus. You have to be ready to act, to pivot, to make your decision, to take your stand. God is speaking to you this morning about you. Will you lean into the transformation that he has for you? God is speaking to you this morning about you for the sake of others. Will you embrace your change so they might come to know him? What are you waiting for? There really truly is no more room for excuses because Jesus is here this morning. And when Jesus is here, he eliminates all excuse. So in this solemn, intimate moment that represents the beginning of a 21-day prayer journey 
of fasting, a time of leaning in, changing posture, expecting the miraculous in God. Will you embrace the fact that things in your life, in yourself, may change even in the moment, but definitely in the journey?